I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. And on this episode, Autumn and I are going to catch up, talk a little bit about what's going on in the world, like there's anything not going on in the world right now. And then later on the pod, we're going to interview a very special guest, Annette Miller, who is the author of Daring the Dark, a workbook for exploring your evolving spiritual questions. So you don't want to miss that. Stay tuned. Autumn, this is it. This is the last week of the pod during the Trump administration. Now, a lot has transpired over the last week. We've had an insurrection. We've had an impeachment. And it's still not over. we still got a week to go. And in the middle of a pandemic, can you even imagine four years ago, this is where we would end up uh, in the Trump administration? Uh, sort of. Yeah, it's ending about the way I pictured it ending. I remember, you know, from November until January, sort of seeing this looming on the horizon, this orange cloud, and uh, and just having this pit in my stomach for what this meant for, at the time I was working in higher ed, so listening to students of color, to students who are immigrants, to students, uh, students who were dreamers, who were, you know, here studying, um, using DACA and our LGBTQ plus students. And my office was just a confession, not a confessional, but just a, a place for people to come and sit and just cry. Like I gave so many student hugs that week back when we could still hug people. And the inauguration actually happened on my daughter's birthday. And it was just a dark day. And now we're sitting here getting ready. She was, you know, turning 11 at the time. Now she's turning 14. Is that math right? <laughs> As they carry the one. Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> okay. We can edit this part out when I try to do math. Um, anyway, you know, and, and it's a celebration. It just feels like not that no damage was done, but we're almost through with it. Yeah. You know, I remember very well four years ago, I can remember actually the election taking place and there was a lot of enthusiasm behind uh, uh, Secretary of State Clinton, uh, all the pundits, all the pollsters thought that she was going to run away with it. Uh, as we know, there was an, an, a huge upset, and uh, President Trump won that election. And in our ecosphere, uh, an ecosystem, I should say, uh, there was a lot of anxiety, uh, a lot of angst. We didn't, I mean, because he was saying things that were really dark, were really uh, frightening for a lot of people. Uh, on the campaign trail. Now he was elected president four years ago, and I can remember as a pastor uh, working within a local congregation how difficult that was because you had to get up into a pulpit and, and, and to try to provide comfort for those who are hurting, but at the same time speaking truth to people who in your congregation probably voted for the president and supported some of his policies. Now, many of them said they did not like his personal rhetoric and, uh, you know, his tweets, uh, but did support uh, some of his policies. And I can remember trying to, to walk that, that uh, balancing beam uh, really carefully as a pastor, uh, really with this unknown future ahead of us. And I can remember after the election that it just began to unfold. The dominoes began to fall. You had the, uh, the, the Muslim ban and people were being detained out, coming off of airports and you had the protest at airports. And then you had Charlottesville with the white supremacists and neo-Nazis uh, protesting the taking down of the 
Robert E. Lee monument there in Charlottesville, and the young lady was killed, and it was just your eyes began to be opened up, or the country's eyes began to be opened up to the fact that, you know what, everything Donald Trump said on the campaign trail, he meant, and we were reminded of Maya Angelou's wonderful quote, you know, when somebody tells you who they are, believe them. And we were beginning to understand this is who he is and this is what he believes in and he's going to act these policies. And it all culminated, of course, uh, last week at the nation's capital when an insurrection was uh, incited directly from the president's own words mm-hmm. that now has le- led to his second impeachment. Um it has just been a wild and crazy four years. Um, I know a lot of people have supported the president, supported his policies, but I, for one, thank the Lord that this is coming to an end. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not know what a Biden presidency is going to look like. Um, I hope that we continue to maintain our prophetic voice, and when we see... Uh, the Biden presidency and the Biden administration uh, stray away from things that are important to us, that we will call them on that. Uh, But I am just so thankful that these four years are coming to an end. But what I'm frightened about is what it has unleashed, because while Trump will no longer be the president in one week, Trumpism is here to stay for a while. Mm-hmm. And I just can't imagine what it's like to be a pastor in this day and age. I can't understand. I just don't know what it would be like having to step up in the pulpit uh, last Sunday after the insurrection at the Capitol. And now this week after a second impeachment, uh, the nation is just really, really has, has been through it. And then to throw on top of that, we can never forget that we are in a global pandemic mm-hmm. uh, that has halted everything for the last nine months, uh, going yeah. on 10 months now. So, uh, man, the, the country, the world has been reeling and struggling. And this hopefully is, is nothing compared to the dark ages, but this has been a dark, dark year for us uh, on many, many levels. Yeah, it has. You know, something you mentioned was that Trumpism is here to stay. And I I would go a step further than that and say Trumpism has been here. Mm -hmm. Before it had a name, it was here. And, you know, something about me is I try to find the good. I try to find the silver lining. I watched Pollyanna one too many times as a child. Um, And not in like a a way that says everything's fine. But if if we have to live the situation, let's find what's good about it. It's easier to identify. It's easier to call it what it is. Um, You know, these sort of latent racism and things that were sort of existing in the shadows and murky are out in the bright sunlight now. Mm -hmm. And people have told you exactly what they believe and where they stand. And I think for me personally, that's been really helpful to not be wondering, hmm, something about that seems a little off. No, no, no. You were absolutely right. And here is what they believe. Yeah, and you know, calling it Trumpism, this has has gone by many names, um, but it, the one consistent thread that remains through it all, it's white supremacy. Yep, it's white supremacy mixed with Christian nationalism, and it is this system that has in pl- been in place since the beginning of this country. And I'm about to say some things that sound very detrimental to the founding of the country, and what I'm trying to do is to just be honest about it. 
um, I think the founders of this country were brilliant individuals, but they were also flawed individuals. And we must never forget that. And we must be honest about how this country began because one of the most genius uh, phrases within the founding documents is that we are striving for a more perfect union. Uh, that's why I've never been an originalist when it comes to the interpretation of the Constitution. I think Jefferson, I think Washington and, and Madison all believed in a living Constitution, that their their hope was that the country would continue to become more perfect. And they would be extremely disappointed if uh, we found ourselves at the same place that we began that we needed to strive forward and to progress and to, to become a better society that's more inclusive, that is more just, so that everybody in this country and everybody who wants to come to this country can enjoy the freedoms that this country offers. And so it's our founding was founded on white supremacy. There's just no way to deny that. And what I mean by that as a, a, a citizen of the Muscogee Creek tribe is that this country began on a genocide, mm-hmm. a, a, a genocide instituted by white Europeans upon Native American peoples. And once they obtained the land, they needed to work the land, and they needed to create an economic system, an infrastructure. And the way they did that was then the enslavement of African Americans. So on the genocide and theft of the land by white Europeans, and then the, the building of a socioeconomic system through slave labor, that this country was built upon white supremacy. And for us to deny that, I think, is ridiculous and harmful and shameful. That is has been the thread throughout this country. It, and then it was further perpetuated in the pulpit. Absolutely. It was blessed by the pulpit. And, you know, the, the white church, you know, felt that they were superior to everyone, that God had given them the divine divine right to rule over people, uh, and they separated themselves uh, by race, using the Bible to try to argue that. They had to totally take the uh, text out of context. They had to pervert Scripture and to... They're still doing that today, by the way. Nothing has changed. (laughs) Not one thing. That's right. Uh, And it has. It's been a constant. And... My hope that everything that has happened in the last nine months, as dark as that has been, and it has been dark, that there is a glimmer of hope. I think back in history, and I think about the civil rights movement and the light that the civil rights movement brought, but that light came out of the dark days of Jim Crow. The lynchings and hangings of African Americans and the torture of African Americans across the South. But there was hope, and Dr. King t- preached about that hope. He lived that hope. John Lewis lived that hope. And I'm hoping what we're seeing today, even in the midst of this utter darkness, pandemic, racial violence, insurrection, that we see an opportunity to shed light, 
to become that more perfect union that we need to become, that more rights are instituted, that more inclusion emerges, that we see the error of our ways. And as a society, even with opposing voices, because those aren't going away, mind you, I'm not going, I'm not advocating that we sit around a campfire and sing Kumbaya with those people who, uh, who storm the Capitol. What I'm saying is that we tamper that down in a nonviolent way and say, these are not the ideals that we want to go or to move forward with. These are not, this is who we have been, because I also don't believe that we can say this is not who we have been or who we are. This is who we are, yeah. but it's not who we have to be. There you go. We can be better and we can do better and we can make this country of ours a more perfect union. And the institution that is setting in the best position to do this is the church. Mm-hmm. Because we have the greatest voice that has ever walked on the planet who advocated for all of these things, mm-hmm. advocated for the oppressed, for the marginalized, for the poor, for the sick, for the foreigner. Jesus' message, his gospel was not only for the sweet by and by, it was for the here and now. Mm-hmm. And the church must reclaim that and continue to preach the words of Jesus because they are still transformative today and can bring this thing around. That's right, church. If NASCAR can do it, you can do it. Get on board. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Well, Autumn, speaking of of dark days, uh, we're going to interview here in just a moment Annette Miller, who actually has has written a book. It's actually a workbook, uh, Helping People Explore Spiritual Questions. Um, and, and I love the premise, and we're going to get a little bit into it in the interview. Just there's always been a shine away by people of faith about asking really difficult spiritual questions because I don't know about you. I grew up in a context where if you question, had hard questions, you didn't vocalize that because that somehow indicated you were doubting God. Mm-hmm. Um and, and so I, I always hesitated to ask these really hard questions. Did you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I would I would lie in bed at night and think about them and not be able to fall asleep because I was scared to death, but I would have never vocalized them. Right, right, right. In fact, you know, I was, when, I was, uh, in, uh, when I was working in the local church, I always loved uh, parents uh, who had little ones who began to ask, uh, a lot of interesting questions. <laughs> it was always about the age of three, four, five. And, uh, you know, they would ask, where did God fr- come from? Um, you know, ask about life and death questions, about, um, you know, questions that the parents didn't feel comfortable asking. And they would always say, let's go ask the pastor. So they would march into the study. <laughs> they would like shove their kid into the study and say, I'm going to be out here having a cup of coffee. He's got some questions for you, pastor. <laughs> or she's got some questions for you, pastor. <laughs> Uh, uh, but it's because we, we've grown uneasy of asking these hard questions. And one of the things I appreciate, appreciate about Annette's premise is that if at any place in the world where tough questions need to be explored, that's within the church and within the Christian community. And so uh, mm-hmm. we really, you know, really had a good conversation with her. And I hope that if you have a difficult question that you're exploring right now or you're, it's mulling over in your mind that you vocalize it, 
uh, talk to somebody about it, uh, and explore it because it is not doubt. Uh, it's exploration. And in fact, I think doubt is a good thing. I was going to say, even if it's doubt, like maybe that's okay too. Right. I've never, I haven't been advocating against doubt for years now. I, I think doubt opens us up to questions so that we can find out more about God and his incredible or her incredible universe that he or she has created. Uh, because I want to know more about this divine uh, creator that uh, brought all of this about uh, and not less about it. I, I hate to think that we have discovered everything there is to know about God and his revelation. I think God continues to reveal uh, what's going on within his or her divine plan. So, so stay tuned. Uh, Autumn and I are going to visit with Annette. Uh, she is a delight. You'll enjoy uh, hearing that interview. Lot Carey is proud to bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest pastors coast to coast. Our new podcast, Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, delivers wisdom from the Black church for the whole church. Find us wherever you get your podcasts or listen online at lotcary.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot org. We look forward to the pilgrimage with you. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. And on this episode, we've got a very special guest with us all the way from the Lone Star State, Annette Miller. Annette is a faith-based author. She spent the last two decades helping others explore their potential as a behavioral assessment and leadership development consultant. Annette focused, or founded LifeSync Coaching in 2002, renaming the business LifeSync Leadership LLC years later. She is a certified consultant in the Brinkman Method and the ABCs of Stress Management Program with Dr. Dan McGee. She enjoys providing workshops for businesses and churches. Her first book, Daring the Dark, launched on Amazon on October the 1st, 2020. She holds a BS from Oklahoma Baptist University and MBA from the University of Central Oklahoma. She lives in Texas, as I just mentioned, and her husband, or with her husband and dachshund poodle named Brian. So, Brian, sorry, Brian. sorry, Brian, Brian. Annette, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Thank you. I appreciate the invitation. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Um, so, we were, our first question is just going to sort of get right in there. Um, tell us a little bit about what inspired you to write a book exploring spiritual questions. In the introduction, you mentioned a moment when your mother passed away and you were facing some health issues. So was it sort of in that dark place or maybe tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, you're right. It was at that time when my mother had passed away and then my husband had urgent heart bypass surgery all at the same time. And I had for decades ignored some spiritual questions and during this deep grief over the loss of my mother and just dealing with my husband's recovery, I developed high blood pressure, stomach problems, quite a bit of significant health issues and it ended up being a spiritual crisis as well. I had to take pretty urgent action to be able to regain my health. And during that period of time, I started working with a spiritual mentor, which is a Stephen minister from my church. And we started exploring spiritual questions. And I was just inspired to start writing down, how do you solve a spiritual question? It was just a creativity journaling exercise. 
and from that developed this workbook. Hmm. Well, Annette, I mean, you know, it seems a little bit self-explanatory, but I don't think it is because it's such an in-depth topic, uh, this idea of exploring spiritual questions. So uh, just briefly for our audience, can you define what a spiritual question might be? And then afterwards, in your work, uh, you know, after publishing the, the workbook and talking uh, with clients, what are some of the most pressing spiritual questions that you find people are asking in these days? Okay. For me, a spiritual question could be anything from as ba- basic as, is there a God, to something maybe a little more specific we deal with in our everyday life, such as, does gender identity affect salvation? Something that's a more modern question, perhaps. The, the issues that, that people deal with that I hear about um, certainly deal with gender identity questions. Um, salvation is another thing that people are interested in. Um, one question in one of my workshops was, why do I have to go through Jesus to get to God? So that, to me, that's a salvation type of question. I think during this pandemic, we're all a little bruised emotionally because of all the, not just disruption in our daily lives, but the kind of jerk and pull that it gives to our souls. We're, we, we are affecting our perspective. Our, our perspective is being affected because of this this um, pandemic that's around us. And we are looking at things differently. I sense that people have deep spiritual questions that are just erupting as they are isolated in their homes. And I really want them to be able to have a tool to help them walk through these deeper issues that deal with our soul that affect our everyday lives. Annette, do you think that uh, crises, you mentioned crises, and we're certainly in the middle of this pandemic. Uh, This last year has been an incredibly difficult year, uh, filled with anxiety, struggles, uh, angst. Um, Do you think these moments of crisis somehow uh, break through a barrier, allowing people to explore more of these questions? Because it seems as though you're saying that a lot of these questions are underlying, but maybe in the moment of a crisis, all of a sudden there's this floodgate that opens up where it gives us freedom to ask these questions. Um, and sometimes they're from a dark place, and that's what the book addresses. I can remember talking to someone just within the last week uh, talking about the pandemic as they had loved ones die from COVID-19 and been afflicted with COVID-19, simply say, I've been praying every day that God would do something and intervene with COVID-19, and it seems like it's getting worse. Why isn't God hearing my prayers? Yes, I hear that as well, too. People just want to raise their hand and shake it at the heavens and just shout, God, why why aren't you doing something? Um, So, yes, the role of God in our everyday lives is another big spiritual question. And, yes, I really do believe that crises can help us experience breakthrough moments that can lead to hope. And I I will even use the word recovery because for me, my crisis did lead to recovery, but I was such a good little girl when I was little. I, 
I was so nice and my brother was a little bit of a rascal and and I just really enjoyed being obedient and making sure that I did everything right with my parents and and with my church and it wasn't until I was in my early 20s that I kind of started rebelling a little bit. Um, so I've been a member of about nine different Baptist churches or so throughout my life and I learned that people are expected to learn the right answer and tell other people and persuade them of what the right answer is. Well, as my life went on and I got older, I thought I would get more right answers, but it didn't end up that way. What it ended up being was that I had more questions. And the God that I had defined in my earlier life didn't seem to fit anymore. My God was bigger. I was busting out of my confining box. And it was that that crisis that helped me to face, oh, I don't have all the answers. That was a big problem for me. And maybe I won't get all the answers. And I learned to be okay with that too. Mm. Yeah. That's a hard one to sit with though. <laughs> it is a hard it one to sit with. It was for me. For yeah. some people, not so much. But for me, I did had had a really big pride problem because because I was such an obedient child and, and was very conforming and compliant, people would praise me and, oh, you've got it all together. You've got all the answers. You're so put well together. And I started to believe it, and it really wasn't true. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it was really hard. I had to work a long time with not only my therapist but with my spiritual mentor to realize I don't have all the answers and it's okay. And I want other people. It's really important to me. I want other people to realize it's really okay to have spiritual questions. It, it's a natural part of life. That's how we grow. And um, frankly, it's how the human race has survived as we ask questions and we learn and explore. Yeah. Well said. Absolutely. So in the foreword, Dr. Dan McGee uses a phrase to kick off the book. He says, be curious. That phrase permeates through the book. Uh, McGee says, the childhood curiosity which drove our parents crazy has gone underground. We've learned some questions are not safe to ask. So why, in your opinion, is curiosity so important in exploring spiritual questions? And why do you think it gets tamped down in adulthood? Mm, Let's do the second one first. Um, I think curiosity gets tamped down beginning in school. And it's not necessarily a fault of individual teachers, but in order to conform in a classroom, you've got to have obedience and rule. That's just a matter of group dynamics. It's just a fact. But sometimes it can be taken too far, and the individual expression of students' creativity can be repressed. And as students are forced to be high performers academically, that pressure doesn't just happen at high school. It happens beginning in elementary school. Students are, are pressured beyond reason to, to try to achieve things that their parents want them to achieve. Um, truly, parents are concerned about their future, of course. I'm a parent. I was, too. Um, but there, there is just too much uh, confining of individual expression. Mm. Um, as a side note, that's why I've enjoyed poetry so much recently. 
is that it's funny when I do poetry, I give myself free reign and I just say whatever. And I go back and read it and it's like, oh, wow, that I really did feel that way. But I couldn't express it in words. I, I just had to write it out. Now, what was your first question about the Be Curious? Yeah. Um, why do you think it's so important in conjunction with spirituality, that curiosity? Oh, okay. So to me, curiosity is just as natural as breathing. Mm -hmm. And we should not restrict curiosity to academics or intellectual pursuits or even artistic efforts. I think we should be creative spiritually as well. And in my book, I really encourage people ask questions. God can handle it. God is big. God can handle anything we throw at him, our doubts and our questions, even our anger. And it's really important to just be real with who we are and the questions that we have. And then at the end of the process of my book, I encourage people to create some kind of a spiritual exercise or some kind of a practice to help them try out the tentative answer that they developed. And even that's a creative exercise. And I, I just think creativity is crucial. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you rightly point out at times curiosity can kind of send us down a rabbit hole. And I can remember having, especially in pastoral ministry, having this conversation with parishioners all the time, uh, this struggle of uh, of wanting to ask questions, of giving into this curiosity, but at the same time feeling as though they're somehow jeopardizing their faith or, uh, or you know, doubting their faith or doubting their faith in God. Many believers, you know, many believers are afraid that going down that rabbit hole of questions uh, seems that to, to welcome doubt into their faith, uh, because they've taught, they've been taught from an early age that doubt is the opposite of faith, which I don't prescribe to, by the way. However, in your book, you provide what you call survival benefits of curiosity that can help people as they ask these questions. So can you elaborate on those survival benefits? And by the way, I just want you to know, I was very disappointed to learn that no one knows it all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. No one knows it all. Um, I think, let's see, what do I want to say first here? If we don't ask questions, we don't learn. And if we don't learn, we can't grow. I'm, I'm reading a book right now called The Coddling of the American Mind. And my son recommended the book. And it talks about how thinking that hard situations or experiences make us weaker, how that's a false truth. So when we experience doubt, which is a hardship of sorts, we can actually grow stronger from that. Mm -hmm. now, Peter Anz has wrote a very interesting book, The Sin of, Cert of Certainty. Mm -hmm. And I really like that book because it helps to describe how God really doesn't want us to develop an ironclad creed that precisely defines everything we believe about our our faith. Um, I believe that God wants us to believe in him and he will provide what we need, but we don't need to try to define him so much 
so that we miss who he is. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. hundred percent. So, so I think doubt is a hardship, but that we can grow from that. Right. And that other kinds of experiences that are struggles can help us. Um, I do want to say that I think one of the most important things that we can do when we are exploring spiritual questions is to have a support team, whether that is a, a formal spiritual mentor like I had through Stephen Ministry or just a friend at your church or maybe at a friend's church who you can meet with um, and just talk freely with and not be judged. We all need people around us who love us and accept us the way that we are. And um, in my book, I do talk about building a supportive team. Yeah, you do. You talk about community, and I got a question about that later on because I really, really like that idea. But some of these survival benefits that you mentioned were such as gathering different perspectives, ruling out uh, unsound conclusions, uh, validating good sources of information. You know, a lot of times when people explore these conversations or the, explore these questions, they they they're searching for information. They're searching for answers to their questions, uh, and a lot of and in this age of the internet and social media, they can become bombarded with information. A lot of it is not accurate. So, how right. can people make certain that the information that they are reading and and you rightly rightly point out the importance of getting uh, different perspectives on the question that they're exploring, but how can they make certain that these are reputable uh, resources? That's tricky. Um, one thing I would say is make sure that your your sources are um, from like some university publications, perhaps maybe less biased than say a translation of a Bible that an individual created. If a team created a translation of the Bible, then it is more likely to be based on a variety of perspectives and be more balanced than a translation of the Bible that an individual has created, mm. for example. Sure. Um, another thing that you can do to make sure that your decisions are better, in addition to having the different perspectives, is to, to go through this process with a team of people. Um, you have to be careful when you build your team because you don't want it to be tribal or clan-like where people are close-minded and they're all in for protection of their own personal beliefs. Mm, you really important. need to be with people who are more open-minded, who feel safe in this, this wilderness of exploration, and who can support you. And another thing that's really important when you're trying to discern truth is frankly just to pray. Good word. Good word. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's, it's like the Sunday school question and the teacher's like, where every answer is Jesus, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like okay, it's brown and it has a fluffy tail and they're like, Jesus, like, no, you know, pray about it. Like, yes, <laughs> it's the same answer we've been getting our whole lives. Right. Right. <laughs> Um, so you also write about situations that repress rethinking. Uh, what are some of those situations and why is it important for people to acknowledge their reality? I think this is a very serious topic. There are so many situations that are easy for us to fall into that end up repressing us and we don't realize it at the time. Um, 
So I have made a list of those in the book. But these, these can be things that are as traumatic as having an abusive spouse where they, they force you or restrict you from maybe what church you can attend or they, they criticize you for the things that you believe. Those, you know, that's a very traumatic, bad environment. But even things as having like a bad boss. I had a narcissistic boss one time. She tried to make me believe everything that was wrong was my fault. And that damaged me. I had to leave. I could not survive in that environment. I had to leave. Um, other situations that are repressive can also be a church. Churches are, um, Dr. Randall, you can correct me on this, but churches are designed to protect and promote a certain pattern of believing and so sometimes that can be taken to an extreme so that they repress new thoughts so dr randall what do you think about that yeah i would agree with that i mean obviously a church uh by its very definition is created under the auspices of some type of belief system. Uh, the foundational tenet is that we believe we, we've made a conclusion about this person of Jesus Christ, uh, that he was God's Messiah, that he was the Christ, and that we have uh, made a profession of faith in him and to follow his ways. So just the very essence of what the church is is founded around that particular belief system. Uh, and then it grows out from that nucleus. What, uh, where it gets tricky is when you try to create an environment that is, uh, is diverse but also inclusive. And what I yes. mean by that is in the churches that I pastored in the past is trying to create community that welcomes diversity, which means not only a diversity of ethnicity, of gender, of sexual orientation, but it means ideas. Yes. And it means an exploration of these ideas and the, a safe place to not only harbor, but ask these questions that are vitally important. So to be inclusive means to bring people together to explore these questions and to, uh, to, to, to try to discover some semblance of truth on this journey together. And, you know, I've often told parishioners that, believe it or not, I don't have all the answers, but believe it or not, you don't either. And so if we're willing to work on these hard and difficult questions together, um, and if you respect my opinion and I respect your opinion, and the most important part of this process is the ability to listen. Because so often we formulate opinions while we're listening and we're really not listening. And if we're open our ears and our hearts to listening to other people's stories, others, other people's perspectives, then by golly, we just might learn something ourselves. And God forbid that to happen. Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, it, churches, are, are they're set up and designed for this great opportunity for spiritual exploration. But sadly, they have also been turned into a harbor for like-minded individuals uh, and almost, uh, you, and you mentioned the word tribal or clans, uh, and, and I think that's extremely accurate, but it's like this, this club that unless you uh, look like me, unless you talk like me, unless you uh, uh, vote like me, 
uh, believe like me, then you cannot be a part of this. I don't care if you profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I don't care if you were baptized, if we believe on some of the, the major tenets of Christianity, but because you don't follow the script that we have created as a congregation, then you cannot be uh, a part of me. And sadly, that is where American evangelicalism has taken the church in this century. Yes, and it, to me, I, I see it go a step further. I think a lot of people, and I used to feel this way, if you don't feel like me and act like me, you're going to hell. <laughs> and I think that has really destroyed a lot of the the love that Christians are supposed to have. I attended the, the third Evolving Faith Conference. There were about 8,000 people that registered for this virtual event, and I'm a part of their private Facebook group. There are so many people that have been damaged by the church. They are hungry for God. The church turns them away. Mm -hmm. They will not let people ask questions about spirituality or about God. The churches, too many of them, are all about conformity. Um, The church I'm a member of now not only allows questions, they encourage it. It's Wilshire Baptist Church in Dallas. A shout out to Dr. George Mason and uh, all of our friends at Wilshire Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. (laughs) For their coffee. (laughs) So I joined the church two and a half years ago, and I feel like I'm a, a new little transplant in a garden, and I'm being watered and fertilized. I love being there. And the church made a big decision a few years ago, Um, about gays and lesbians and how they were going to approach this. And I was highly impressed by their process of working through their spiritual question. And that was one of the inspirations for this book was it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to research. It's okay to struggle. You can come through on the other side and still be in line with God. Now, Annette, we obviously do not want to give away everything in the book because, I mean, let's be honest, we want to send people to Amazon.com so that they can buy the book today. But I do have a final question, and this final question is about if I'm someone listening to this podcast and uh, need to to pick up the book, Daring the Dark, where can I start? Uh, Obviously, buying the book is a good start, but where can I start in exploring some of these questions that I have in my heart and in my mind? One of the first exercises I have in the book is a brain dump. And that is simply just pouring out on paper every little nugget of question and doubt that you've had and just throw it on paper. Um, Just that simple exercise itself can be freeing because it helps us to see, oh, this is reality. These are things that I truly struggle about. And you just throw it on paper and look at it and come to grips with being okay with having questions. And then in the book, I guide you into grouping the things you've thrown on paper, maybe categorizing things, kind of looking at things from a bigger picture standpoint, and then selecting a single question. And then the book works you through how do you use this critical thinking process on a single question? So I think simply recognizing the multitude of questions that we have can be very freeing. Excellent. 
Yeah. And permitting ourselves to have those questions too. Absolutely. And also yeah. giving us, and this is a, a broader subject, but giving ourselves the permission to unlearn what we mm-hmm. have been taught throughout our lifetime. You know, one of the most dramatic points of my life was when it was revealed to me that everything that I thought I knew was thrown into question and mm-hmm. gave myself the permission to unlearn what I had been taught through the exploration of spiritual questions and good research and uh, conversation and community. But I had to come to that point where I realized that everything, not everything, but some of the the tenets that I had been taught throughout my life, uh, now as a young adult, I needed to explore outside what I've already learned. And so the the, the phrase unlearning comes to mind. So I love that. One of my favorite quotes is from Alvin Toffler. The illiterates ah, of the yeah. future are not those who cannot read or write. They are those who cannot learn and learn and relearn. Love it. Very good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So our motto here at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So in light of everything we've talked about today, what is your more to tell? My more to tell would be that I'm working on a second book, which is more of a guided journal. And it's kind of like a primer for spiritual exploration. And it guides people into expressing maybe some of the the emotions that we have as we realize that we have spiritual questions like anger, loss, hopelessness, fear, rejection, even shame and guilt. And then looking at things like certainty versus faith, bursting out of our boxes, trying on tentative answers and seeing how they feel. Um, I am working with one of our our colleagues at the CBF and trying to develop this guided journal so that it can be used as a tool for spiritual conversations as well as use in people's homes. Love that. Excellent. Love it. Annette Miller, author of Daring the Dark, a workbook for exploring your evolving spiritual questions. You can find out more about Annette and her work at AnnetteMiller.com. And if you want to purchase the book today, go to Amazon.com for a Kindle version or a paperback version of the book, and we highly recommend it. Annette, it has been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us on Good Faith Weekly. Thank you so much, Dr. Randall and Autumn. Appreciate it so much. And to our audience, we want to thank you for tuning in to Good Faith Weekly. We appreciate each and every one of you as you tune in, tune in each week to listen to our guest and the musings of Autumn and I. And as we kick off this 2021 year, we want to remind everybody to keep living good faith. <music>